Blog Talk Radio. to rock your socks off today, and I'm going to bring in our co-host, Jay Logan. We have so much to talk with you about, and we have some great guests on today. We have on today, Gabrielle Carlson of Gabrielle Carlson Designs at GabrielleCarlson.com, and Matthew Forrest, who is a teenage motivator, uh, owns two businesses that are very well respected in New York State and is a motivator for teens and bringing them into college and bringing them through that, you know, that hormonal stage that teenagers go through. So would you all welcome Mr. Jay Logan. Jay, how are you today? I am wonderful, 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 Gil. This is a beautiful day today for our show, and I'd like to say hi to all our guests out there. I'm coming to you from sunny, sunny Los Angeles, California, and today is the start of the wonderful NAM convention which uh, I'll be there uh, today, all day today, um, hanging out with some great people. And uh, I'm just having a great time down here, and uh, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to do the show. I'm very excited about it. Well, I'm excited too, Jay. You know, i got to start off with this. You know, um, it's just been interesting. Everyone has been talking about SOPA. You know, it sounds like SOPA, you know, like as though we were, you know, doing the Greek dance. And, uh it's been the Stop Online Piracy Act. It's been PIPA, you know, the Internet uh, uh, Protection Act. I mean, we've got people going crazy over this, and I can understand it. But most importantly, you know, I think it's going, it would have, if it had gone through, it would have affected the music industry, music, uh, film, people who write people who are authors, you know, all types of creative and collective works. We would have so many websites pulled down on the Internet. You might not even want to go on the Internet to do any browsing. I mean, what are your thoughts, Jay? Well, you know, I think that uh, we got to watch the censoring of the Internet and make sure that we have freedom of speech. Um, that's all we have right now. We don't need that to be censored. We don't need, the, uh, we don't need uh, anybody telling us, what we the knowledge that we need to know we can't know. So I think that we should just keep everything like it is, basically, not change anything and evolve, uh, not take away. And uh, companies should not police police the internet. I don't think companies should go around policing the internet to tell people what they should and should not uh, be uh, acquainted with. And so that's where I'm at with that. I think it'd be a big mistake to have uh, Congress uh, censor uh, what we what we do on the internet. Well, you know, it's funny, Jay, because one of the things that they were looking at is, especially around, you know, music works, especially around people who write various things, or, you know, even taking content from one site and talking about it on another site, you know, I have to say that, you know, content aggregation, which people talk about a lot when you take content from one site and write it about it on the other site and give credit to whoever wrote it, you know, one of the things that I would say I agree in that case is that, as long as the credit is given, but also 
we have to learn to really be, write our own content. I, I came across uh, one, of the, one of the esteemed journalists, Maureen Orth, who is married to uh, the late Tim Russert. And she was speaking uh, on one of the stations about journalism and the importance of the direction of journalism. You know, we're so busy taking material from one side to another that just writing the pieces that we write is important. You know, the knowledge of the, the person who is the local journalist in their community who decides to write about various things in their community to someone who is a, an esteemed journalist such as herself who's written about Vladimir Putin, uh, former uh, Br- British Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher, and to Michael Jackson and Madonna. She writes investigative pieces for Vanity Fair. And she says that they're doing very well, and I actually believe her. Um, I think that, you know, SOPA has its place, but definitely not in those areas. We, we have to, what it does have a place in is we have, do have to get back to writing material that are, that's coming from us or sharing material that we find on the net with others and pointing people directly to that. So th- that, you know, there's a, there, there's a fine line, but I think that we get to say how that goes. And also when you're talking about free speech, you know, what do you think? I mean, Jay, free speech, Occupy Wall Street, you know, uh, different places that people speak about products and certain things or music that they like between one another. The speech is already there. We can't censor it now. It's been there for a long time. What do you think about that, Jay? I think that's true. And back on uh, Marine Arts, I, I agree with a lot of that. You know, I see when people steal other people's journalistic ideas, we have a problem there because uh, the people don't get their credit. Such as that is with the music business also. It's the same situation and with all the uh, the uh, movie industry where people take movies and download them and sell them to other entities without permission. So there's something that needs to be done there, and that all has to do with free speech because basically something you got to have some kind of guard that's there. But what guard do we put there? Do we censor everybody? Or, do, or to, do we choose not to censor everybody? So there's a delicate balance right there. What do we do? But something has to be done because we can't keep going on like this because people are not getting the credit for what they do. Uh, people are not getting their royalties. People are not getting paid. And the industry is suffering. So I know the Hollywood industry, they're down with censoring. They're down with that because they're losing a lot of money. But at the same time, you have to think about the people and the public, and you can't censor that. So... Ah, just you know, it's just a real touchy, touchy situation, Gail, and it, it really needs to be thought out because uh, we have this big issue here of what to and what not to. Um, do we need an internet police? Maybe we do, but in what format? How do we format that internet police, and who will police the internet? And is it done worldwide as a worldwide police, or is it just done here in America? Um, other countries they censor like China, and you know, because you, you travel all over the world. And, you know, a lot of other countries, France, they do have censors. So maybe it's time for America to get into the game, but we're a free country. How is that going to work? So I still think that freedom is... No, I'm... Please go ahead. Yeah, I still think freedom of speech in America is what America is about. We can't really do that. Well, you know, Jay, one of the things, something important that you said, a balance, and I think one of the things is... With having the Internet be so open, okay, what it does afford us is when we do, you know, every day they're shutting down sites that are downloading illegal films, 
okay? Every day they're downloading sites that are, uh, I'm shutting down sites, downloading music, okay? I think one of the important things that we have to look at here is not only how do we shut down the, shut down those sites that are doing those illegal things or whether it's copyrighted material that is a writer who's writing a book and they find their book somewhere else later on the Internet. This happens all the time. This happened before the Internet. We just, and actually the Internet allowed us and afforded us a better way of actually tracking material, okay, to find out where, it, where the copyright infringements are. But the most important thing I want to look at, too, is Let's go back to our youth. As we know, see, that's why there's a delicate balance. Kids don't have to, you know, hang with each other and download each other's music, each other's books, all of this. This is the technological age we are. So what is, if a teenager puts up a website, we're going to shut them down? Because actually, it actually helps the, the music artist. It actually helps the film company when teenagers swap like that. So it, it is a delicate balance because if it's a teenager, we might look the other way or we might make the parent responsible. If it's an adult, we might, you know, shut down their site and send them to jail or fine them. So I think that the balance is to keep the Internet open and free as it is and do as we've been doing. Have those organizations, when they see someone is doing that, shut the site down. That's all. Make it on an individual-by-individual basis. But when we censor too much, we take away, and, and quite frankly, Jay, no one is going to, no one's going to be happy either way. You know, that's why I think the freer we are, and 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 on the internet, the better we are, because when you give right. people so much, give people so much freedom, Jay. I mean, what do you think? The more freedom you give people, the more you allow them to see how they're behaving themselves. Actually, you know, it's it, it, mm-hmm. I just thought it was really, really, really funny, and and honestly. I do have to say one thing, you know, in terms of music, I think that music has actually, to some degree, been stifled. I know that artists now have a way of putting their music out there and everything, but, you know, we took away, everyone complains about the the music labels, but the music labels did have one thing. They created a sense of urgency and they created a sense of competitiveness. And how they did that was, if you were great, they would put you out there. But on the other flip side of that, that actually helped other artists say, I want to be where that other artist is. And it makes them, it pulls more out of them of their creativity, and it supports them in giving the best that they can. Now, they may not be Beyonce or Celine Dion, you know, or, you know, Victoria Justice, who's on Nickelodeon right now, or Miley Cyrus. But you know what the cool thing is? They are giving 100% to their craft they're getting to have the music they wanted to have, you know. So that is an opportunity. So either way, structures, there has to be a balance. Right. Right. Um, I, want to let, I want to talk about the um, Apple textbooks that you uh, you talked to me about earlier and what are they doing over there. Um, and you said you had some information. And... Um, I wanted you to, uh, to maybe talk about the new way that they're educating kids now and putting college programs on the iPad and some of the media stuff where you can go to college on your iPad. Um, I want you to share some of that stuff with me, um, if you could. You know, um, Apple is doing something, you know, 
uh, they're taking on the textbook market, okay? You know, they're, they're unveiling this thing called iBooks 2, okay, which you're kind of creating as the new textbook experience for iPad. And, you know, they want to improve upon where textbooks are not portable, you know what I mean, uh, mm-hmm. or searchable, but they want to make it easy for it to be, you know, just downloaded on your iPad, you know. And the most interesting part is the app is free. It's called iBooks Author. And there are a lot of teachers and professors to actually self-publish their own textbooks, textbooks, which I think is amazing because, you know, but at the same time, our publishers, see this is again, our publishers have to make money. So in a sense, right now, they're going to be bypassing textbook publishers altogether. Does that eliminate jobs? It does. And you see, here's the thing. Just like the music industry, when you bypass, you know, a lot of artists, get mad. And I'm for the artist, I'm for the music label as well. I don't agree with all that each one does. It's the same thing with the textbook market and books in general. If you bypass the publisher who does the editing and everything else and you, it's great to hire freelance editors. But when you have a publishing house that is fully and solely responsible for the editing of materials and everything, that's the best because then we might have our children learning things that might have some, you know, some discrepancies there. You know, there might be some mistakes made in the textbook. Or some, uh, it could be a date that's off. You know, we might say the Emancipation of Proclamation or uh, or the U.S. Constitution was, you know, created in 1959 when it could be 1259. You know, we have to be careful of things like that where if we have a publishing house, if those textbooks are consistently flowing through, that makes it all the best. So that's where I think Apple might be making their mistake. So these books, I, um, I was going to ask you, these books, I, I've, I've heard these books will be priced anywhere between $14.99 or less. You know, this, those books are usually $50 and 30 bucks. That's amazing. Um, I, I can't imagine buying a textbook uh, for college for $14.99. That's amazing. <laughs> um, I, me, yeah, at UC Berkeley, these kids that up here in the Bay Area, they pay so much for these books, and uh, – then you really can't lose it if it's in your uh, on your iPad. You can always retrieve it, you know, by getting another iPad or iPhone, which is which is amazing. Uh, uh, when does this stuff start? Does it start uh, now or is it being released now? Is the books that you can buy now? Well, you know, it hasn't been really discussed about when it will start, but it, I believe it is going to start shortly. I, you know, I, I definitely do. Um, and, you know, Jay, that, I, you know, it's great. It's really great that they're going to sell the textbook so much cheaper. I'm all for it cheaper. But, again, I go back to I'm still a believer that everyone across the table has to generate an income. Okay. You know, I mean, this, this show is not about economics, but I just want to get off on the side, wait, on the side for a second. Can we do that for just a minute, Jay? Sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're talking about textbooks, all right? We have students coming out that are in college, as they said, because of technology, the students of 2011 are making a little bit more, 2.3% more than the students of 2010, okay? So now if we're saying that these students are getting jobs and they're going into the things that they want to do. Now, if we take away the publishing houses and we take away the, the in-betweens, 
when we take away the jobs as editors that students come out of college to become. We had students who come out of college to um, be literary agents or work at publishing houses to, you know, have books go out there and make sure it's the type of books that hit the right market for the right uh, age range or demographic. We take away those jobs. And because the app that's being sold, they're paying less, there's less money available. Do you see what I'm saying? So our yeah. economic situation becomes worse because now our students don't have jobs. Their parents don't have jobs to continue to send them through school. This is across the board. So that's why I think we have to look. I think it would be much more probable if Apple rolled out the iPad textbooks publishing software for teachers and worked together with the publishing houses. That would be the coolest thing. Because the other thing is if we have we can have accredited teachers, but anyone can make a mistake. Anyone can make a mistake when they're writing a textbook. Right. That's what the publishing houses do. That is so that's so valid what you just said because I can see the same thing happened in the music business where Apple did not consult with the major music companies and they made it into an MP3. Well, the record companies weren't prepared for that, and they, they, they lost their business because the record companies weren't prepared for the MP3, and Apple didn't consult with them. So Apple ended up coming up with this great company, iTunes, and the, you saw the music industry suffer. And that would be, be sad to see the publishing, publishing houses suffer like that. So maybe, yeah, they should work together. I, I see what you're saying. It makes a lot of sense because, you know, the economics and what it would do to uh, a lot of these people's jobs, it will be very sad. So, yes, they need to work together to where there's a ba- back to be a balance again uh, so they can keep some of these businesses in. And that makes sense. Yeah, I see what you're saying. But now here's the flip side. Cognitive behavior with writing. I am all for the textbook being on the iPad. But, you know, both you and I, Jay, are both geeks. You know we're geeks. We're complete geeks. <laughs> you know? Right. And, you know, and so being geeks who's always into the latest stuff that's out, I find that it's also good to write. I mean, how do you feel, Jay, when you're sitting there writing lyrics to music or you're on the boards and you're creating music as you go along? Like, I know that you love technology, but isn't it great to put that hand to pen to paper? Because in the brain, there's another part of the brain that works. Yeah, it, it, it's great to put your hand on, on and, and, and do things on paper and pen. And the reason why is because you tend to can keep your notes better and you feel like you get a, a sense of accomplishment. Like I wrote everything down and I did this myself with my own bare hands. And that's what you feel good about. When I'm sitting down there doing notation, I know how long it took me to do that, to write out that horn part. I know I did it with my bare hands and I did it from scratch. Kind of like home cooking, you know. You know, when you make a cake or you make you bake some cookies, you made it from scratch, you didn't go buy them from the store, and they, they didn't just instantly pop up out of nowhere. And it, and it gives you that personal touch. It gives you a personal touch. So, yes, it's better for me to know how to do things from scratch and use a pen, and, a pen or a pencil and paper to, uh, to do my work. Uh, plus, you know, my, like, you know, like my little daughter, Delina, you know, her handwriting is getting so nice to see your kids and your children's handwriting, you know. We don't want that to disappear. You know, how wonderful is that? I know, and, and do you know that handwriting is almost disappearing in all 48 uh, states? But, you know, Jay, we could go on about this all day long, but one thing I wanted to share is about, you know, we were talking about last week, we were talking about guitars, people learning how to play the guitar on the iPad, 
Okay. Now, you oh, know I was wow. against the iPad. Do you remember I was against the iPad, Jay, when you first, you know, you were trying to get me into it, and then I finally got one? Right, right, right. So, okay, wow. so there's this great thing. So I want to share with everyone about Jeff Pulver. Jeff Pulver okay. is the curator of 140 Conferences and the State of Now. And you can find that on www.140conf.com. Well, he is supporting, uh, along with uh, here, up here at Listen Gives, a new app called Instramagic, I-N-S-T-R-U Magic. This is for everyone of all ages. It's web guitar, okay? And the beta version is out now. So if you guys want to check it out, I mean, you literally can play the guitar on your iPad. It's the coolest thing. So if you go to livemixbox.com and you'll get a beta version of it, that's L-I-V-E-M-I-X-B-O-X.com, livemixbox.com. Guys, you it, you can actually create some really cool beats. I mean, you will be sitting there just rocking it out, you know. So just check it out. I mean, Jay, it's amazing. You should go there yourself. I, you may already know how to play guitar. I'm still trying. I still have some bad chords. I can still play violin, but not guitar. <laughs> so, I'm gonna go there. I'm gonna go there immediately after the show because I'm very impressed with chat. Um, speaking of guitars, there is there's another one, Gail, called O.M. Guitar. And what we talked about there was so scary to me last week where I felt like if all these apps come out and become instruments, people will no longer play real instruments. And yeah, that's that, that that horrifying me. It does, because we were, remember we were talking about that? And it, it, it's so important that people learn the instruments maybe on the iPad. We're always, like, we're talking about writing. Always go back to the real thing. And, Jay, with that said, we have our first guest on. You ready to bring him on? You know our friend Matthew Perry, that Matthew Forrest, that we were talking about? Yeah. Well, Matthew's going to share with us about teenagers and bullying and all those things, Jay, that you'd love to talk about. Uh, Matthew is from New Vitality Ventures. Again, that's newvitalityventures.com. You can check Matt out and really have a lot of fun. He also has a book out called 50 Tools to Success and Personal Power for the High School Student. It's by Matthew Forrest. Again, it's 50 Tools to Success and Personal Power. And then after him, we'll have, oh, I'm so excited, Gabrielle Carlson from South Africa, one of the most amazing and baddest designers out there. I love her. So I can't wait to get on with Matthew. You ready, Jay? Let's bring Matthew on, okay? Let's go. Hey, Matthew, how are you? Matthew, do we have you? Hello, Matthew. Yes, Gail, Gail, how are you? I'm doing fine. This is Jay. Welcome to Gail. Listen to Gail Live. Hi, Matthew. All right. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Oh, no problem. Matthew, this is Jay Logan, award-winning producer and our friendly neighborhood host here. Hi, Matthew. How are you doing out there? Thanks. Going good. well, going well. Hanging cool out in the, out in the Hamptons. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. It's, it's good weather out here. I'm out in California, sunny California. I'm in Los Angeles, so it's just nice that's and warm. That's a beautiful day. Other side of the world. <laughs> right. Other side, other side of the world, same message, right? That's exactly. right. <laughs> Beautiful thing. I'm blessed to I'm blessed to be in communication with you with you amazing people. And thank you again for having me on the show. <laughs> 
Oh, no problem. Oh, no problem. You know, um, Matthew, you know, it was so amazing, you know, when I saw what you were doing and Jay saw what you were doing. You know, one of the things that we have been talking about is bullying, okay? You know, as, as much as we talk about kids enjoying music and stuff like that on the show, you know, it, it, it's a it's a big phenomenon. You know, bullying has now become cyberbullying. People tell, you know, the kids where they're going to have a fight at. And now they're even sometimes videotaping it so you can see it live. You know what I mean? So sure. you know, I know Jay. I know Jay had some questions for you, and I, you know, I have a couple of questions for you. So Jay, do we uh, do we pick a stick to see who gets to ask Matt first, or are you going to go first? Oh, uh, I, I, I got a question first. The other, so it's, it's okay. But my mom always told me ladies first. Oh, well, you know what? Since I'm very much a lady, and you are very much a gentleman, why don't you go first? Okay, um, Matthew. I have, when you have a, a, a son or a daughter, and they come home, and I'm sorry, and Jay, we're, Jay. We're having a bit of technical difficulties. We're not hearing you clearly. Um, when when you have a kid, and they come home, and they act, they have behavior differences, and you ask them. What is wrong with you? How do you how do you get that out of your child? And your child has been bullied. How do you get the information out of the child when the child is afraid? Well, that's a great question. I appreciate you asking that because I was that kid. I was once that kid that came home and I went from a free, free, fun-loving kid to a kid who was almost almost instantly overnight shut down, cold. And just began to began to clam up and, and stop speaking. Um, what I find is the most effective and, for, and and on both sides of the table for for me to be the kid that was able to open up to somebody, and now also on the other side for for teens to actually sit down and open up with me in my teen mentoring program. The first thing that's imperative for me to do is is to connect is okay. to really let them know that I've been where they are and, and and allow them to know my experience and 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 I find that we all have an experience or another, whether some are some are more extreme, some are more blatant, but we all have some degree of where we were hurt by somebody at some point and this is how we felt and this is how it affected us and it made me want to shut down, made me feel different. And once we create that connection then all of a sudden their defenses start to break down. And then they, they feel more comfortable. They feel like you're not they're not speaking up or down to somebody. They're not they're not talking to somebody who doesn't understand. They're talking to somebody who's been in their shoes. And at that point, um you know, the sky's the limit. I mean that's why the first part of whether I do a teen mentoring program or one of my teen seventeen empowerment seminars or if I come into a school and give a motivational talk on bullying or teen leadership first thing I do is I connect. Okay. The other question is, um, how do you, when you go to, how how do you get to the bully? How do you tell the bully, hey, I know that you might need attention and you're doing this for attention. How do you, how, how do you approach the bully coming from your standpoint and you being involved in this? What do you do to try to get the bully to put his guards down and change his life? All right, for for the bully, it's it's really, in my experience, I, I've I've seen that 
the bully's state of mind is is aimless. Is they're not really uh, they're not committed to, to live a certain certain lifestyle. They're not thinking about their actions. They're, they're doing things based upon feelings. They're doing things based upon insecurities, and they're doing things based upon being cool and fitting in. And the thing that really has worked most effective with the bully themselves is to really show them 10, 15 years down the road what living that lifestyle gets them versus a lifestyle of service, of acceptance of others, of instead of putting people down, actually being that person, to be a leader and and stand for the person who's who who they might have picked on at one point and and to get to know and to get for one so the first step is to is to show them where that path leads them, show them the path they're on, show them where it leads to mm-hmm. in ten, fifteen, twenty, twenty years, because that kind of gives them a little bit of an eye opener. And then the other thing that I think has has been really amazing is to is to empower the bully and the victim to come together and learn three things about each other. Because most of the times the bully and the victim really know nothing about each other. All they really know is they look different, they're from a different family, they dress different, and they have different interests. But when it comes to really knowing the individual, the bully and the victim almost never, almost almost all the time, don't they, they don't know anything about the other person. So to empower them to find out three things about each other has been a really amazing experience because then they begin to realize that wait, wait, we both we both put our shirts on the same. You know, we both wake up out of bed, we we tie our shoes the same, and they begin to then see the similarities in each other. And at that point, I think that's bridging bridging the gap between bullies and victims. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, you know, know, based on what you said, Matt, I have a question. You know, I was looking at your book, and you were talking about your Action Guide 1, okay, about the blueprint. And one of the things I find so amazing, you know that, you know, Jay, you and I, we do some similar work around how to look at life, you know, and seeing how we can have our life, you know, 20 years from now as though we're living it now. You know what I mean? And technically it, it is that way looking at how you can have your life 20 years from now and you're not living, you know, you think you're not living that life now. We live our life as let's do things till we get up to that point rather than seeing it as it's a done deal. Look, we got that record deal. Oh, we're a recording artist. Oh, we have a successful business like Matt does, you know, in, you know, in construction and home repair and all of that. Or, oh, I want to be a writer. We think we have to do these things to get to it rather than see us ourselves as a writer, the performing artist, or the, you know, successful business owner like yourself, we see ourselves as we see ourselves as that right now, then we know the steps that have to be taken beforehand. That it won't be building up to get to it. It'll be that it's an already done deal because we know that it is and what is it going to take to have that happen. You know? So I the reason why I share that with you is because my I have two questions for you. One, isn't it most often that bullies their whole life is not great or there's something that they feel not great about as the reason why they pick on kids. And my second question is, you know, one of the things you said I love in your book is that you talk about getting down to paper and pen, and that's something Jay and I were just talking about. But as much as we love technology, getting back to the paper and pen so a child can really express themselves rather than just typing on the keyboard at first. 
Why do you think that that's important? So those are the two questions. That bullies, aren't they often something that's not going on at home and they want to take it out on kids in school? My second question is, you know, getting back to paper and pen, how do you think that that supports a child more than first starting out on a computer and typing it out? Huh. Well, so the first question is the bullying. Is there something going on at home? Yes. Uh, typically, there's um, typically with. I mean, I've, I've revamped my company from New Vitality Ventures, and we're going in a new direction. And I'm launching the Teen Steam Machine, America's Teen Steam Machine, and we're going on a, an international or a national uh, demolished bullying tour. And what I'm finding is that with most of these bullies, most of the kids that are that are that are picking on others. I mean. It, it's, it varies. The home life varies so much from a kid with a, with a, with a, you know his father's a doctor and real estate investments and has has everything a kid could ever imagine to a kid that comes from a family of maybe alcoholism addiction. There could be, you know there's there's so much that goes into the profiles of, of an individual. So it's what it really boils down to is is yes, I mean obviously there's things that, that, that they haven't they haven't gotten the home front on some sort of on, on in some degree or another. But I think what it really boils down to is the individual. I mean two people can come from the identical situation and one could be a saint and the other one could be a demon. You know? <laughs> that's been my that's been my experience and so it really comes down to the individual and the and how the individual feels about the man in the mirror, the man or the woman in the mirror. And if they're not okay with the person looking back at them in the mirror, they're going to do whatever they can to avoid looking at themselves. And sometimes that's looking at a victim. And they, and and that makes them feel better about themselves. And I use the analogy of, you know, we all stand, we all stand in front of a mirror, right? And in the mirror is our reflection. But when the reflection is too painful to look at, to the left or to the right, there's usually somebody standing right there that we can turn our glance two degrees, and instead of looking in the mirror and feeling what we feel, you look at the person that's easiest to, that's the easiest target, right to your left. So boom, uh, there uh, they are, and they go and they go. Instead of looking in the mirror, they'd rather look at that person. You know what's so interesting what you just said, Matt, is that um, when you said about at home, one of the things I got is it does seem like it's at home because whether it's a real estate, the parents are a real estate investor or doctors or engineers, they view that their parents are out so much that they don't have that interaction with their parent and they miss their parent. To the, so they, they still can't communicate with their parent. To the one who does deal with alcoholism in the home, they can't communicate with their parent because the parent is addicted to something. So it's almost like the absent parent or not, the parent not spending enough time. It's just a, a thought that came up. Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely agree. Um, but again, it's, um, it's it's you know I've I've seen it all. I've seen brothers who grew up in the same household, and it's just they you know, they grew up in the same household. And there's and, and the one kid is just across the board the good person, and the and and the other one is the is the bully, is just the flat out bully, and. And it's it's really, I mean, the cause, I don't do so much work on the cause. I do more work on on the current situation. 
Okay. I think uh, I think there's a lot of a lot of other professions out there that work on the cause of the issue. I, I'm more of the person that says, "All right, where is it at right now, and what can we do Got to it. make and make the change right now?" You're a solution person. I'm coming at strictly solutions. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's the best. That's the best. I, I, and I think so too, because goes... you can spend. No, I agree because you can spend a lifetime trying to find the causes. But if we don't change anything today, right here, right now, make a different decision here and in the present moment, then if we can, we can find all the causes in the world, but the results will remain the same. Well, I think also, too, would you say that even in dealing with the present-day situation, you do have to have some sense of what the cause is so that the child can identify what the cause is, and every time that behavior wants to surface or come up, they can know, okay, here it is again, let me catch myself. You know, Matt told us this is what we need to look at. So I think the solution that you offer and reminding them of where that cause is coming from, each time it comes up and resurfaces, because we're human, we're bound to do things over again, it gives them an idea, you know, where to go. Would you agree with that a little bit, Matt? Uh, Yes, yes. I mean, I, I I stress big time the importance of teamwork and the importance of role models and and with the and and the use of what I call real life role models. So the role models are not role models I urge students to to, to get are not uh I mean, you know, there's, there's it's great to have role models that are on television, that are celebrities, that are you know, you know, very successful, but at the same time can they pick up the phone call and ask them a question when they're going through something? Oh, so true. So my goodness, so true. So, so, so I stress them to. You might, you know, Michael Jordan might be your, might be a role model, and that's great. But I, I stress them. I stress the importance of in my life and and how effective it is and will be to and serve them in their life. To have a lot of students that, that I say, you know, uh, uh, who's your role model? And I'll ask a couple a couple people in, in the audience, or I'll say, who has healthy role models? And I'll have a couple people that. A lot of people won't raise their hand because they know the role models aren't healthy, but they never really took a, took a look at it. So there, there will be a couple of people that raise their hand and say, I have healthy role models. And I'll say, who's your healthy role model? And then I'll hear my mother a lot. I'll hear my cousin, my father. And mm-hmm. and, and then when it's interesting because then, I'll, and then we'll come up against something later in the seminar and I'll say, and it will be a bit of a troubling topic of whether it's bullying or, or something else, peer pressure. And I'll say, and I'll and I'll go back to that one person or the two people that I asked to stand up and share their role model, and and I'll say, in that situation, did you pick up the phone and call your mother and ask her what she would do? And they say no, and, I, and then I say, <laughs> right, right, right there, and there is an opportunity to pick the brain of your role model, the person that you aspire to be, to find out what they've done to be the person that they are today. And they're like, and it's so simple, and they're like, wow, they think. You see their eyes light up. Wow, I can actually utilize my mom like that <laughs> because so much, as much, so much of us as teens, we just don't think like that as teens. You know, the you know, last thing you think is to call mom. Yeah, that, that's very true. You know, this is really funny because we are running out of time. Matthew, I'd like to, we normally don't ask this, but I would love to know if you would join us again next week, okay? To, I'd love to. We'd like to, to talk about this further because this is, I think Jay has some more questions for you too. 
And for us to stop right here, it just feels like it's such unfinished business. So would you join us next week? Well, I would absolutely love to. Okay, so you know what? We're going to have you on next week. Everyone, please join Matthew Forrest back next week. And, Matthew, thank you for your time. And please tell them very quickly where where they can find you at, Matthew. Would you let them know the website and everything right now? Sure. It's... The website is named after the book. The book is 50 Tools to Success and Personal Power for the High School Students. And the name of the website is 50toolsthebook.com. That's 50toolsthebook.com. Okay, Matthew, thank you so much. And we look forward to talking with you next week. All right, Gail, Jay, thank you so much. And I look forward to it as well. Bye-bye. Jay, you look wonderful. That's beautiful. Uh, yes, and you're right. I had a bunch of more questions. It's, uh, it's going to be great to have him on next week. <laughs> and now we have to bring on Gabrielle Carlson. I'm so excited about her. Going to Gabrielle Carlson, hails from South Africa. She's one of the top designers for people of all sizes. So would you welcome Gabrielle Carlson? Gabrielle, are you there? Absolutely. Oh, Gabrielle, I'm so excited you are. And welcome to the Listen, Give Live show. And this is Jay Logan, our co-host. We co-host together. Jay, this is a wonderful Gabrielle Carlson. I thank you both so much (laughs) for having me on this show. I was fascinated with what just went on. So I had (laughs) that part of it and remember that we were not talking about different things. (laughs) Well, Gabrielle, you know... um, this show, as you know, it's called Listen Give, okay? Uh-huh. And it's Listen Give Live. And, you know, we are looking at people who are creative like yourself and have this unique approach into how they how they interact with people. You know, Jay, when I met Gabrielle, she was so warm. You know, we're, we're in a fellow class together, and I would have to describe her as enthusiastic, empowering, and just infectious with laughter. You know, and uh, Gabrielle, we would love to know, you know, living in South Africa, coming to New York, you know, having your dream of being a fashion designer, like, was this always there for you as a child growing up? Making people feel beautiful, dressing them, that they took some delight in themselves, I think was always, always present. And growing up in South Africa during the apartheid era, I had a lot of opportunity to be in touch with women who suffered a great deal in their lives living in the system that we did. And so I don't know that one equated it as fashion per se, um, but certainly dressing in such a way that you step into a little backup going into the day or have good friends around you speaking for you at those moments when words don't come as you wish they would. Yes. I see clothing as a way of um, not only putting your best foot forward, but kind of um, an exemplification of who you'd like to be um, that speaks louder for you at moments where you're quieter than you'd like 
or you don't feel you can be or speak or appear or respond the way you need to, that you get that momentary uh, collecting of oneself to go ahead and do what's what's required. You know, um, Gabrielle, it's so funny you would say this because I know that this is, it was just so amazing talking with you. You know, one of the things I told you I love South Africa, and one of the things are the artist, Miss Lyra. Uh, she's, you know, her regular job, she was a certified public accountant, in South Africa, and now she's one of the biggest worldwide um, phenomenons and new talent on the scene as a singer. Uh, she was for FIFA for South Africa uh, with with um, Hugh Masekela on the stage for Miriam Akiba. And the reason why I brought that to the forefront is because one of the things, she dresses beautifully all the time, even if in a pair of jeans. And one of the things she said is, I dress not for the fashion. I dress because I believe that clothing the colors, the boldness, brings out who we are on the inside to the outside. It is not a fashion statement. It is a statement of who we are and the way we express ourselves. And when when you shared with me that you dress people of all sizes, I said, wow, a woman who has has this kind of background and, and she doesn't just dress the slimmer woman. She dresses every woman of all ethnicities. Can you explain to me what that has been like for you in well, interacting you know, with women? Well, most women are their very own size. And to be able to be a context where women who are uh, more than one size, more often than not, I will get to dress women who are one size from the waist up and another size from the waist down, or women who are phenomenally tall by our cultural standards. And there's an increasing amount of women who don't fit within the standard industry designated size range. And these women love dressing too. And there's very, very little available for them. One of the ladies I dress is a young woman who is in her late teens and she's about she's the tallest teenager in the world. She's been on Oprah a couple times and um Her dream is to be part of a women's basketball team from Jamaica that makes it to the Olympics. But she has a larger shoe than what's generally out there, and it's tough for her to find what she'd like. And yet she is expressive, um, self-determined, loves to look good with the best of them, and being a teenager really loves to look good. And... um, it's heaven to get to dress her and have her put on bright colors or not so bright colors or whatever it is that draws her and for her to know that whatever she sees hanging on the rack in one size can just as not be for her in her size, made to fit her body. And she can put it on and it can fit just right and she can be gorgeous. It's a... it's. A, I'm grateful to be able to provide that. I think there's indeed a place for it. Wow. That, that's, that's so amazing. That is absolutely so amazing. So amazing. It's, um, it's been such a learning experience for me because I actually had no... I, I ended up making clothes not because it was a long a dream of mine, but because... 
when we moved from one country to another, my own body was in a state of change, and I didn't fit into what all of the girls in my school would wear every day. I had someone else going on. And um, I ended up making clothes to be comfortable in my own skin. And I kind of felt like if I can't find what's out there, let me come up with what it is I need. And the more I made them, the more I met people who were drawn to them also. And um, since then, we've evolved collection after collection and a whole community of women who cut and sew clothing for women who are their very own size, many sizes, and would love to dress and are happy to find clothes that they can dress in. And I think the use of color is something I especially celebrate, and um, I'm a great proponent of, yes, um, dress your inner self to be on the outside. I like what she said about that. But more than that, I just think in Manhattan in particular, there's all the more reason to be bright. Okay. Um, I kind of feel like we live in a sea of black, and... um, it's wonderful and celebratory, and I feel very strongly about color. I want to ask you something. In feeling strongly about color, and you mentioned apartheid, and I know that something very close to your heart is youth. I know that you work with some organizations that work in connection with the Nelson Mandela Children's Fund, okay? Uh-huh. Can you share with us a little bit about the differences you see about the youth here and the youth in South Africa, what you know of and what you've watched during your time in South Africa and also here? Well, you know, it's funny. People are so very different, and yet they have so many similarities to one another. Youths are youths are youths. At the same time, growing up in South Africa in the apartheid era, I think what really brought youths together, what brought everyone together was the system was so seriously repressive and all folks living in it and under it suffered so that a kind of commonality was just there because you had to work together. There was no surviving otherwise. I'm a white person, but both of my parents were very politically active. My father was one of the lawyers who defended Nelson Mandela. And um, this being the case, um, I got to see a lot of things that many white children were not exposed to. Um, So youths in a system like that come together because they're all living under this terrible, fearful, um, scary system. And they're naturally thrown together because in order to survive, that's the best way to be and do. Here, um, people in general are a lot less politically aware, a lot less politically active, and fear to speak out, either because they think it will make no difference um, or because they're so bogged down in just what it costs to get through the day, increasingly so. And with um, Occupy Wall Street, there are some changes happening, and folks are slowly but surely beginning to open up to the possibility of speaking out. And I think the more that happens and the more we realize that repression happens in so many different ways and that economic repression is as serious as any other because it keeps us all in one place and in our place 
And I think coming up with those realizations is going to bring people and youth together similarly. I'm I'm blown away, Gabrielle. I mean, Joy, do you have any questions for Gabrielle? Oh, yeah, I have uh, one question, Gabrielle. I wanted to know the difference in American America fashion and South African fashion. I would like to know <laughs> the difference. Well, so you I kind of feel like I'm not the best person to answer that because I've been here so long. I am American fashion. On the other hand, coming from South Africa, maybe, has an impact on why I love color so much, why I'm crazy about oranges and yellows and burnt oranges and orangey reds is because our sunsets are just the most beautiful and the country's kind of dry and um color's just it's just it's just it's 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 in our blood. And um although color at the moment is very big and very hot on the American scene, it's it's of the moment. You know, it could be black and navy, it could be silver, it could be quieter tones. I'm not sure that folks here wear color as easily, generally, as folks in South Africa. I mean, all the African cloth is really brightly colored and beautifully colored, and it's vibrant, and it's really, it's fun to wear and put on. Saturated color is just, it's a great thing. Thank you. Um, you know, Gabrielle, I, I can't, I can't uh, surpass something. Did I hear you say that your father was one of the people that defended Nelson Mandela? Yes, that is true. That is history. That is, you know, it almost brings tears to my eyes because, as I told you, I feel like that South Africa is the heart and soul of the world. And to have that piece of history... Were you there? Did you experience, did you see things? This is something our youth would love to know from your eyes as a youth. What was that like knowing that your father was defending Nelson Mandela? Well, it was a mixed bag. And you have to appreciate that one of the things I think, one of the concerns that kids have or that youth has is fitting in, being accepted, uh, being in step with your friends, other youths. My parents being political um, was something that, that, that on a personal, I sometimes think it's a selfish level, but on a personal level, you have mixed feelings about it because you don't get to play with a whole bunch of other kids. Their folks won't let them come over your house because their folks are going to get visited from the security police if that happens. And so, and a lot of parents who were supporters of the system, you know, you become the brunt of, I mean, I'm listening to talking about bullying. You, their parents hated my parents, and so their kids were not my best friends and made school hazardous. On the other hand, to go out with either one of my parents for a bite to eat, which is something that happened very rarely, but when it did, the staff, the waiters, always knew who my mom and dad were. And because people living under such a brutal system must come together, they're very tight-knit. They're all in the same boat, and it's not a good one. To know 
to 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 feel an unspoken support or recognition and honoring of my folks and to have that in turn shower on myself as the child of I can't describe the 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 sustenance of that. I, I I'm just it's mind blowing to to Jay and I. Um I want to thank you so much for being on our show. You have offered. Oh, it's, you. it's. I'm very, very grateful to to be able to speak of anything that in any way contributes to who comes next. You you have made you and Matthew Farr today have made such a big difference in so many different ways, and we thank you. And we would yes. love for you to visit GabrielleCarlton.com. That is G A B. R I E L L E Carlson dot com. And Gabrielle, before we say goodnight to you, I'd like you to I'd like you to share who, some of the people that you have actually worked with um on fashion. Because I was looking at your website, I was blown away. Would you share just a few people that you have worked with? Oh gladly. I have to say the most exciting people I work with are people like Bubbles the tallest teenager in the world. And the reason why that is so special for me is is to be able to turn someone out who is used to defiantly having dreams of how great you'd like to look, but on some very deep level, never expecting to realize that because she sees her image as necessarily compromised based on her experience. To have somebody like that come in the studio and see stuff they like and know they can have it, and they get so excited at that possibility of looking glorious along with the best of them. i got to tell you, it's, it's, it's just the best and most exciting experience to be a part of. Well, thank you, Gabrielle, so much. We are down to 20 seconds. This has been amazing. <laughs> Gabrielle, I think we're going to have to have you and Matt come back. But thank you so much. And, Jay? As usual, it was a blast. Gabrielle, thanks again. My great pleasure. Uh, Ah.